Matthews. I'm your host, Casey Bassett. Renee is still out on vacation, much needed vacation. Uh, today in the studio, we have Father Mike Wensing. Uh, it's the second part of our two-part talk with him. He wrote a manuscript recently about death and the afterlife in the Jewish tradition and how that evolved into the Christian, uh, the Christian tradition. Excuse me. Uh, and it's a very interesting conversation. The manuscript itself is uh, in the works of being published, but um, not quite yet. So you'll hear a little bit about that. But first... Biblical Bites with Dr. B. So I think actually Renee is back from vacation. You're right. She's just chosen. Well, no, to be honest, we've replaced her. There has been a usurpation. (laughs) We've overthrown the tyrant. I mean... (laughs) We have costed the studio. Yes. The, the, uh, we, 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 (laughs) she'll be back next week, I think. Yes. But this week for one, well, one, probably not last time forever. Last time for now, uh, Casey's in studio. So Casey, you, you get the question. What's today? For Sunday of Advent. In what cycle? C? Oh no, we're switching it. Right. Are we back in A? I don't know. I'm going with A. Are we? Are you sure? I'm sure. Is that your final answer? Final answer, yes. Yes, you're right. A. So, uh, new church year with First Sunday of Advent, new church year. Uh, we, we start the cycle with year A. So, that means what that means is most of the this next year, the gospel is going to come from Matthew. Okay. Um, almost every Sunday, the gospel is going to come from Matthew. So, it's Advent, right? So, what do we think, Casey, when we think about Advent? What do we think about? Oh, uh, Christmas time. Christmas music, death and dying. Oh, wow, wow. That's really uh, not where I thought. You, well, no, with you, I'm not surprised. Uh, right. So, um, yeah, I've been fighting the the losing battle with my kids. No Christmas music. Yes. I mean, the decorations, for goodness, the stores, it went up to November 1st. Halloween's done. We're going to skip Thanksgiving. We're going right <laughs> straight to Christmas. But here's, uh, I want to I just focus briefly on the second reading Um and the gospel for Mass today. Second reading from St. Paul's letter to the, to the Romans. Brothers and sisters, you know the time. It is the hour now for you to awake from sleep. For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is advanced, the day is at hand. Let us then throw off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Does that feel Christmassy to you? <laughs> uh Sort of, I guess, but not not in the Christmas spirit that I would even generally think of. No. Because, um, because it doesn't really talk about Christ's first coming, the birth of Christ. Here's the gospel, Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 through 44, at the beginning of this reading. Jesus says to his disciples, "As it was in the day of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. In those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving to marriage. They didn't know until the flood. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one taken, one left." Da 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 da. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on which day your Lord will come. Does that seem Christmassy to you? Does not. <laughs> How does it feel to you? Uh, it feels kind of gloomy doomy. Right. Like, get ready. <laughs> Death and dying, gloomy doomy. Yay! No, the first Sunday of Advent is actually focused on the Lord's second coming. Um, the readings are focused on, on the second coming. Listen, listen to the the the, the collect. So the collect, the opening prayer is consistent. This is always the the first, the opening prayer, the collect for the first Sunday of Advent in all all three years of the cycle. Okay. Grant your faithful, we pray, Almighty God, the resolve to run forth to meet your Christ with righteous deeds at His coming, so that gathered at His right hand they may be worthy to possess the heavenly kingdom. 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, etc. So we're looking to the second coming of Jesus before we turn our attention to the first coming of Jesus. In fact, the preface for the Eucharistic prayer, which comes before the, the Eucharistic, when we kneel down at mass, uh-huh. so the preface is the part that ends with the holy, holy, holy. Okay. The preface, preface, um, the first preface for Advent, which is prayed from the first Sunday of, of, um, Advent, no matter what date that falls on, the first Sunday of Advent up until December 16th, preface one of Advent is called the two comings of Christ. It goes like, uh, it, it is truly right and just our duty and our salvation. Always in where I give you thanks, Lord, our Holy Father, Almighty, and eternal God, through Christ our Lord, for he assumed that his first coming, the lowliness of human flesh, and so fulfilled the design you formed long ago, and opened for us the way to eternal salvation, that when he comes again in glory and majesty, and all is at last made manifest, we who watch for that day may inherit the great promise in which now we dare to hope. So that's the preface that's going to be prayed really until uh, December 7th, through December 16th, okay. until the 17th. So yeah, we're now, it's almost December, we're into Advent, but the the church still draws our attention kind of to what we, we talked about last week. Sure. Jesus Christ is the king of the universe, and that will be made manifest at the end of time when he comes again. And here as we begin Advent, that really is where our attention is, is, is focused. We're going to turn here uh, next Sunday, the following Sunday, John the Baptist. Um, so so we're, we're going to definitely turn towards um, the things that we typically think of when we think of Christmas and preparing for Jesus's yeah. birth, but we're also preparing for his second coming. So just as we're, we're now entering into Advent, this is a good time for us to sort of take stock. Uh, this is why we go to confession as part of Advent, because it's all about preparing not just to celebrate Jesus's birth, but his second coming as well. Sure. Thanks, Dr. B. Of course. For last episode, we had Father Mike Wensing in. We talked about his vocation story, his life growing up, some really interesting uh, beautiful experiences he had uh, during youth, during high school, during his early years in seminary. We didn't get as far as we wanted to or as I wanted to in that conversation, so we're going to kind of pick it up there. But then we're going to get into, he's been working on a manuscript about the afterlife, notions of the afterlife in Jewish tradition and Christian tradition and how the two intertwined and how they kind of developed. Really interesting, especially given the month of November where we're praying for the souls. So welcome back, Father Wensing. Thank you. Um, why don't we pick it up right here? We We kind of talked about major seminary. Why don't we pick it up from ordination? And then let's get into your your specific interest in your schooling around sacred scripture, which relates to your manuscript. Right. Right after I was an associate for the first three years and I taught half-time at O'Gorman High School Religion, um, then the bishop uh, made me vocations and youth director, as I mentioned in the last episode. And I did that for three years and he called me into the office and I, I, I thought probably he was just going to put me in a parish for a second experience as an associate. And he said, no, I, I'm interested in sending you away to graduate school. I said, oh, yeah, well, Bishop, what, what area? He said, well, two areas I need uh, uh, somebody to study further in. And he said, one would be uh, moral theology, especially bioethical, uh, because of all the concerns we have in the United States and, and our, our relationship with the legislature, peer, and in the hosp- Catholic hospitals. Or he said, scripture. I said, scripture. He jumped <laughs> very quick. <laughs> I always had wanted to do that. I... When I was in St. Paul Seminary, Monsignor Quinn was a very famous scripture scholar known worldwide, but he had had a heart attack and he was not taking anyone for the MA degree. And I would have taken an MA degree from him. Uh, I took every course he did teach, but uh, so I didn't have the opportunity then. 
And now I went to Rome to work on my license. In, in, in Bishop wanted a, a two-year program. And the sacred scripture licentiate at the Biblicum with the Jesuits is a three-year program. But with the Dominicans at the Angelicum, the, the sacred theology license with focus on, 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 on scripture was a two-year program. Bishops that take the two-year program. So he wanted to have someone in the background, especially who's starting up the permanent deacon program and to work with the seminarians and in uh, um, uh, Newman centers. And, and he thought this would be a great uh, asset for the diocese. And, and I was so blessed. Uh, the, the struggle, uh, again, was languages. I, I, uh, some of the classes had to be uh, in Italian at the grad level. So I did go to a, a Berlitz type of school for two months. And then uh, and I had passed the, the Greek uh, testing, but I had never had Hebrew. So that was my hardest first year in Rome was uh, seemed like it, it comprised 90% of my homework, just doing <laughs> Hebrew. But we finally, uh, we got on top of that. And, and then coming back with the degree, uh, I was uh, I was sent to the Newman Center. So I, I taught some uh, optional courses, uh, an introduction to Old and New Testament in, in, in the college level program. And, um, and then I was helping with the permanent deacon program, teaching them theology. Later, that degree was used by Bishop Carlson uh, to have me with several other partners, found the uh, Master of Arts in Pastoral Ministry. We don't, Mount Marty sponsored that. We don't have that anymore, but it was distance learning. So oh, okay. we, we usually have about eight students at a time. And a number of our DREs, Catholic school teachers, and other, and deacon candidates completed that uh, MA program. And I, it was a wonderful degree, but you have to have someone who has a PhD or a license okay. in order to give a, a Master of Arts. And among our clergy and the sisters at, at Mount Marty, we didn't have the right personnel finally after about um, eight or 10 years of this. And that sure. it, 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 the program stopped a, a number of years ago. It would be good if we had to degreed people to do that mm-hmm. once again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to jump back a little bit here just to give some context. When you were uh, sent, when you went off to Rome, the bit was the Bishop, was it Bishop Dudley then? Bishop Dudley. Okay. Yes. Okay. And about what year was that? Uh, it was 1982. Okay. And 1983 was my first year over there. I ended End up, he pulled me, the uh, uh, the chaplain at the Newman Center resigned or wanted to be moved to a parish. And so he pulled me out after one year to start the Newman Center with a promise to send me back to Rome to finish. So it was kind of a broken up degree. Sure. I, I wanted a Newman ministry. So I went to Vermilion University uh, and uh, after a year, uh, he found someone to substitute so I could go back and finish uh, that degree by the uh, summer of 1985. Okay. Uh, where I defended my thesis, and, and then I uh, went back to the Newman Center until 1989. Okay. Then I was called to be a pastor of St. Michael's, uh, the second pastor, the founding pastor, Father Doyle, had built a church, but uh, there was a lot of work remaining in developing a parish. Uh, I had to build a rectory and then uh, uh, build up classrooms for religious ed and for a Catholic school. I was going to so, say the Catholic school that, is, was during that time. That too. was the first, first one built in 34 years. Now we've had couple of others built since then, but that was a, a, we had had a big break because with all the uh, priests and sisters leaving the school teaching, uh, it was hard at first to adjust to the higher uh, uh, lay salaries and benefits, et cetera. Yeah. So I think this bit the bullet when we started to organize uh, in Sioux Falls, a unified school system, and then we built, and then later uh, St. Holy Spirit built, and now St. Catherine Drexel built. Yeah. So we've had other schools built in the system, sure. but anyway, that was a great 10 years. Uh, and then uh, uh, Bishop Carlson called me in and and uh, said that uh, he had promised Mount St. Mary's Seminary, where we, we had been sending men since Bishop Dudley's day, 
um, a professor of Old and New Testament ah. if, I, if I was interested. Now, I have a cousin who graduated from uh, Mount St. Mary's, another priest I knew, but I had never been there. I said, can I at least visit the seminary bishop? He said, sure, fly out there quick. And let me know when you get back. And I found it a beautiful, beautiful spirit there. And uh, where's this? Where's that seminary? At? Yeah, Emmitsburg, Maryland is about. Yes, right. uh, right. uh, yeah, it's just south of the Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, about an hour north of Washington D.C. A beautiful campus in the foothills of the Appalachian, and it's right near where Mother Seton, our first American saint, is buried. She's buried. She has the, her mother house is still there, uh, within a couple of miles of the seminary. So it, there's some some fame connected with the seminary. It was the second seminary opened in the United States uh, after. Uh, 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 Bishop uh, John Carroll opened uh, the, the uh, one in Baltimore, okay. and then this was the second one in the United States. So it has an ancient history. So I, I taught there for three years, and Bishop Carlson was uh, moving uh, people to other seminary programs. So I was called back to the diocese, and I, I had Brookings. And then um, uh, I was done with uh, six years at Brookings. Bishop Swain is next bishop. I thought when he called me in, it was about a change or extending my pastorate at Brookings, and it was a complete surprise when he said the Board of Bishops for the North American College are asking for you to be on faculty there. And uh, and this uh, is in Rome. This is in Rome, in North, our uh, Pontifical North American College, and, and uh, specifically to run the sabbatical program for priests. And uh, I swallowed hard because now I'd be teaching, uh, first I was teaching high school, then I was <laughs> teaching a, a, a uh, college students. Then I was teaching seminary students at Mount St. Mary's. Now I would be teaching priests in a sabbatical program. And I, good thing you don't know the future. That would have frightened me to death. But I, I, I took the assignment and it was supposed to be for three years renewable by another three. So when I went to Rome, they had me taking some of the uh, formation classes at, uh, at the North American College Seminary for the deacons. I was to teach deacons many of the practical pastoral seminar classes in parish administration, marriage preparation in America, RCIA. But I ran a sabbatical program and I had six classes while I was there three years, about 30 uh, ranged anywhere from 29 to, to 34 priests each semester, 60, at least 60 a year. And uh, traveled with them to the Holy Land every fall, uh, that program in, in October and then every March went to the Holy Land again with the spring crew. And the second semester I was there, uh, would you believe two of my candidates would be part of my future? One was the Vicar General of the Diocese, Father Charles Simple, and a young priest from Minneapolis by the name of Father Donald DeGroote. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So I, I, when he was made our bishop, I quickly emailed my secretary. She was still working at the, at the college, and I said, Quick, tell me, how was that semester? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and she found a nice handwritten note by Bishop DeGrood uh, at the end, profusely thanking the two of us for a most wonderful program and experience of his life. So I said, uh, <laughs> <laughs> A sigh of relief as yeah. he became your new boss. <laughs> yeah. But after three years, my uh, 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 I had a dialogue with Bishop Swain. I said, uh, the, the rector wanted me to sign up for another three years. But by then, my parents, who lived in Watertown, were in their 80s and having health problems. And I said, you know, if my parents were deceased, I'd gladly do it. It was a great, a great experience and, uh, uh, and very meaningful. But I said, you know, the Atlantic Ocean is really, really big if you have to fly back and forth during an illness. And I said, I will, uh, I think I should come back. And, and, and Bishop Swain said, great, because I always need priests. So he assigned me uh, to Watertown and my hometown since my parents were the reason for coming home. And that was um, 
that was good fortune because in um, two years, my mother died of cancer. I oh. would have been in Rome. Then I took care of dad up until just a year and a half ago. And uh, so my, I spent 10 years in Watertown and uh, then I was able to retire. Was it which parish in Watertown? I, the first two years were at Immaculate Conception. Oh, you were at both of them. Yeah. And then I, I was launching an effort to unify the school there that we were still, uh, each parish was independent yet. And uh, we got their school organized. Uh, and uh, so I got to know both parishes as a result. Uh, Father John Landsberger was up at Holy Name, and then he moved to Del Rapids, and Bishop moved me up to Holy Name, which was my parents' parish. Okay. They only lived about 100 feet east of the church uh, a house. I thought that would be great. I could raid the refrigerator whenever I wanted to. <laughs> but that was the uh, 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 that was the time Mom died of cancer only six weeks sure. later. Uh, so uh, And I had to sell the family home. So anyway, I ended up uh, there for seven years. And then the first year of retirement when I wrote that book and was taking care of my dad, uh, then he died in the nursing home of COVID. Uh, he was just on the eve of his 97th birthday. So he had a long life and was so ready and at peace to die. So that was a kind of a funeral of celebration, really. Then I was open. I thought, well, my brother and my sister are both retired in Sioux Falls, uh, my, that are next closest to me in age. I have three classmates retired here. I said, I think I'll move to Sioux Falls. So I'll be among family. Sure. We're about halfway through. Uh, so if you're just joining us, we're talking with Father Mike Wensing. We kind of went through his vocation story and his life leading up to where he's at now with, with retirement. Father, I'd like to get into this manuscript that you ha- are working on. Uh, we had an excerpt in the Bishop's Bulletin for November, kind of part of it. It deals with with death and the afterlife, notions in Jewish tradition, and how that kind of flowed into Christianity. It's really interesting. Okay. So especially, I, I find the Jewish notions, because that's not something that's talked about a no. lot, is what no. their conception of the afterlife was and, and whatnot. So, so tell me a little bit about it, uh, how that kind of developed in your mind and how you got to writing the manuscript. I had started at O'Gorman teaching a, a life on death and dying, had pioneered the course. And then it was so successful that when I went to USD at the Newman Center and I was doing these introductory courses that I inherited from the predecessor who taught introduction to Old Testament, introduction to New Testament, um, about half my class were Catholics, but the other half were all different denominations or none. So it was a nice uh, uh, way to evangelize in a way, uh, but and scripture is the basis. It, it, it occurred to me to use the material and build on it from death and dying. And I taught death and dying course at the university one course a year turned out so to be so much more popular than the scripture courses where I usually would have maybe 25 to 30 uh, college students in the scripture courses. The first time it was offered, I didn't put holds on the uh, registration uh, dean. I, I had 106 cl- uh, oh. people, sh- uh, students oh. show up. So that was a, uh, it was a it's, monster it's kind semester. Of a, kind of a, a shows you how interested people are in this and how many people really question what's... what's And then, uh, so every semester, I was there six years, so every semester I taught it, I never had less than 60, but I capped it at 60 as well. Mm -hmm. So then it it turned out, I said, one section should be on, uh, because you do all kinds of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and all kinds of uh, death and dying and world cultures, world religions. I want to be more specific on the Jewish Christian. And as I started developing a a two-week course within a course, it, uh, it occurred to me at the end, I think I could write something. We'll see if it can be published, but not, if nothing else, it's, these are notes for my class. Sure. Well, I had two publishers. Paulus Press was interested in the manuscript and St. John's Collegeville, but St. John's Collegeville got to me first and I signed with them. And that, that was in publication until, 19, um, until uh, 2010, I believe, uh, from 1993. And then the copyright returned to me. Well, in the meantime... I had just written through the Jewish tradition, Old and New Testament. I did. I stopped. I didn't 
go up through the church councils. Uh -huh. So I said, this needs to be rewritten. Plus there was new material uh, with research on, on Old Testament material. Um, and, uh, and I wanted to expand into the traditions of the church, how we get to the last things. How does the church now view judgment, heaven, hell, and purgatory uh -huh. and, uh, and death? And so uh, the old book was titled Death and Destiny in the Bible. Now the new manuscript is Death and Afterlife in the Bible and the Church, colon, Developing Traditions in History. So you see there is a flow from Scripture. We always say that uh, our faith and uh, our teachings in the Catechism of the Catholic Church are based on, uh, on the Bible. Uh, it's either explicit in the Scriptures or implicit and purgatory would be an example of implicit, that mm -hmm. you draw out uh, little tentacles from the scriptures, a belief in a transition time after life, a, a belief in prayer being uh, effective uh, in that transition on the behalf of us, the living, uh, for our deceased uh, uh, friends and relatives uh, or those in, uh, in purgatory, as we say. And as I developed it and read, uh, a huge help was uh, the uh, Holy Father Benedict when he was Joseph Ratzinger, as a theologian, he'd written a book written a book on eschatology. Being typical German, I had to read it three times, underline it thrice to finally <laughs> comprehend it all. Uh, but he did give me uh, a lot of material to guide me in the writing of this uh, manuscript. So it's 133 pages long, and it just really completed it this uh, this summer. Okay. And uh, it's Paulus Press is taking a look at the manuscript. Just yesterday, our Sunday visitor asked to see the manuscript. There, the proposal I'd sent him uh, the forward uh, the table of contents, uh. and they said we're interested. Could you send us the rest of the manuscript? Oh, wow. So I have to have an answer from Paulus Press. So it, it, I think it takes time. It yeah. may, it may be another yeah. year before yeah. we see a published book. Yeah, let's um, um, let's talk about the so so the the importance of the afterlife and the four last things like you mentioned and death. I want to kind of go into two things. Why is that important for us as Christians, number one? And then number two, what did it look like for the Jewish religion, the ancient Jewish religion? Yeah, I mean, the church fathers and all the great saints always uh, said that we were supposed to live always with an awareness, not a depression, but an awareness of death in our life. So you even have some saints holding their the mm -hmm. skulls to meditate on, on death. And, uh, and because this is the transition goal, as St. Paul says, I would rather be um, with the Lord than in the body. But he was, would remain with his followers and in the body to serve the Lord's purpose and to serve the gospel as necessary. But the fact that he was dreaming about heaven, I mean, we should dream about heaven. That's absolutely important because it's, uh, if, if we're on the course of a, a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ and, uh, and the saints, we want to be united with them as all love wants to uh, have united so there should be a sense even though there's a natural fear so we play between the natural fear and uh our desire to uh uh to um, uh be with the lord so the church has put a lot of emphasis on its funeral rites its burial uh blessing of the body anointings before that to prepare for death uh, we have quite uh, with the last rites and the ceremonies afterwards and burial um in a consecrated ground, if possible, uh, our Catholic cemeteries, we have quite a ritual surrounding death, not because we're preoccupied with it, but we see it as an important transition uh -huh. to our union uh, with the Lord in heaven. Sure. Sure. Sort of a, a preparation, uh, meditation and preparation right. for that transition. Uh, and then what did this, 
how did this develop out of the Jewish, uh, oh, Asian yes, Jewish religion? Question, yeah, yes. how, because that's a lot. Of, I don't right. think a lot of people know that. How? That, yeah, but, but when you when you read uh, the early parts of our scriptures, all the way up through the Psalms, you will find that uh, they believed in God and they believed uh, in uh, an afterlife of sorts, but they, they had not articulated it. This is through the majority of the Old Testament. You live kind of a sleepy zombie-like existence, a shadow existence after you die. That really your relationship and uh, and actually reward and punishment in your relationship with God happens while you're living and is carried on with your children and your descendants. Eternity would be in your, in a good name, dying with a good name, good reputation for eternity and uh, in your descendants. Okay. So the, the genealogies were important for them. Now, starting with, uh, uh, there's some hints in the Psalm of references of, of God, uh, uh, rewarding and, and, and the delights of being with the Lord in, in the afterlife. But these are poetic Oh, imagery. Sure. They never uh, articulated it. By the time you get to the prophet Daniel, uh, you have one of the first articulations of eternal reward and eternal punishment. And from that point forward, there was a consciousness. There was uh, An early example of this zombie state is when Saul uh, was scared about the battle. He had forbidden uh, witchcraft throughout the kingdom. And uh, the witch of Endor, uh, he summoned her, uh, or they, they found her, and uh, he asked her to summon up Samuel and, and Samuel came as a shadowy uh, figure to Saul uh, in a vision. And uh, he said, why did you wake me? But he knew he was conscious. He knew that the battle was going to be engaged the next day. And he says, and you and your sons will be with me. Sure. So there was a belief in the afterlife, but that sleepy existence was a part of uh, that belief. Now, by the time you get to Maccabees, you have a, a kind of a joy in the resurrection being celebrated. However, in Jesus' time, there were two threads that came down from Judaism. One called the Sadducees. They would have been more the inheritors of the earlier part of what I told you, that death uh, was uh, hadn't really evolved into an articulation for them. They didn't believe in resurrection, didn't believe in angels, uh, and, and in an afterlife of reward and punishment. You just existed in this shadowy sleep of death, where the Pharisees would be more the descendants of the Maccabees. Uh, where you did believe in angels in the resurrection and in a reward and punishment. Of course, both St. Paul, who's trained as a Pharisee, and Jesus sided with their beliefs. He said, even Jesus said, do what they teach you, but don't imitate what they do. Sure. So, you know, it showed his affirmation of, of, the, of the law and her interpretation of, of Moses. And, and so this was kind of the dividing between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now, just here a couple of Sundays ago, um, or just last Sunday, we had the uh, uh, the story of the uh, uh, Sadducees asking Jesus the seven uh, the question about resurrection when the, the woman had to marry seven uh, brothers. Yep. Not to get into that detail, but it showed they were thought they were pinning him. And he says, "When oh, you're so wrong." He said, "There's no giving and taking in marriage in in heaven, but we shall be like angels." Uh, and uh, and I preached on the vocation of marriage is, is a vocation that really matters and is important for our earthly time. But in heaven, we'll all be in intimacy and unity, not only with our spouses, mm-hmm. but with all the saints, a, a kind of closeness not even any marriage can match on earth. So uh, Jesus was hinting like that. We don't become angels. That's a confusion today. Ah, a yes. lot of funerals. Yep. We get our wings, they say. Uh-huh. No, angels are angels and people are people, <laughs> but we'll be together. This, uh, this has been a delightful conversation. I think there's a lot more to be explored here. So... I would, uh, I would venture to guess that we're going to have Father Mike back on this show to talk more about this, especially when his manuscript is, is published. So 
Father Mike, thanks for coming in and talking to us about this today, especially given the month of November. Uh, we're praying for the souls. This is really happening. Thank you. And that'll do it for us today with Catholic Views. As always, you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Captivate. And if you have any thoughts or questions, feel free to email us. Thanks.